never worried that you might be the cool kid You wear the latest fashions on top of all the trends Or have you ever worried you were too much in the mainstream Always so generic, more normal than your friends Well we've devised a test to put to rest your fears There's no need to panic if you lend us your ears Tonight you can't sleep easy after all that you've heard Cause if you like the show then you're probably a nerd That's right, we are back. It's been a while, it's been a minute, it's been a slice. But here we are talking about all things, everything. And to change things up a little bit, I actually have a new co-host. For those of you who don't know me, I am Boris. And for the first time, here is my new co-host, and he's Phil. Hey there everybody, my name is Phil. Uh, Happy to be here. Um, big nerd, I guess, uh, or geek, or whatever the vernacular is these days, but um, big into Star Wars, big into a lot of the stuff that's being discussed on the podcast here, and I look forward to uh, joining the show. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I'm going to be changing it up just so that our listeners know. Uh, I talked with Tyler. Tyler will still be joining us from time to time. Phil will be joining us from time to time. I will be joining the show from time to time. We just want to get content out there, so we're going to be... Uh, changing up who's on, uh, but we just want to get a show out there for you. I think in these t- times, times have been a change in, times haven't been the most positive. So, you know, we kind of want to change things up a little bit for you, get you away from listening to the news. The news can be a little negative, can be a little bit too much at times. So let's talk about stuff completely different. Um, and, you know, because we've all kind of been in quarantine, watching things, catching up on things, there's not a lot of new things coming out. But, uh, you know, I've been using this time pretty much to catch up on a lot of TV, a lot of movies that I uh, pretty much haven't really been able to watch in the past. Or I've been doing a lot of rewatching. Oh, how about yourself? What do you, what do you find yourself doing nowadays? Uh, for me, you know what, the same thing, catching up on a lot of TV, re-watching some things, uh, for sure. I've been checking out uh, Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance, um, and there is surprisingly a lot of, of new things. I, I just checked out the uh, Rise of, uh, Ghost in the Shell, Ri- a standalone complex, um, 2045, and then we've also got all the new Clone Wars and Mandalorian rewatches and so much content, The Expanse, there's just so much great stuff hitting right now, and... Uh, it's a great. It's it. It is a advantageous time to be able to capitalize on that. Yeah, I know. If there was ever a time for us to be stuck inside, right now is a great time with just so much content. Um, you know, just want before we really jump in there, I kind of want to talk about you know this show going back to kind of you know we want this to be a positive show. We want to talk about just about everything, not just comic books anymore, not just geeky stuff. We're gonna be talking about music. We're gonna be talking about conspiracy theories. We'll talk about toys. We'll talk about anything. We'll talk about our feelings sometimes even. But, you know, like I said, I want this to be a positive show. Get your mind off of things for a couple hours a week. And, uh, you know, to be honest, it gets my mind off of things just as much as it will get our listeners' mind off of things. 
Um, so that's pretty much, you know, like I said, we're going to be changing up the format a little bit. Uh, but overall, it's, you know, it's all in canon. It's all the same. That's the beauty of the name of the podcast. Everything is in canon. So, I you know, I guess we should start off from the very back. You know, we've been in quarantine for about two months. Uh, for those listening, in the future, we're at about beginning of May right now. So it's about almost two months since all of this really started. Um, so, you know, a lot's been canceled. Like, when we talk about even in the entertainment world, you know, we're seeing today was supposed to be the release day of the Black Widow standalone movie. And obviously we're not mm-hmm. watching or talking about that. So it's kind of weird that a lot of things are being canceled. A lot of things are being moved. If you take a look at the Marvel uh, release uh, timeline, you know, everything's kind of shifting to the next round of stuff. Everything that was supposed to be released now in May is going to be released in November. Everything that was released in November is going to be February and so forth. So it's kind of weird seeing that, you know, but at the same time, we have companies like Universal who have created quite the stir uh, with their Trolls 2 movie. One of What they essentially did is they said, well, we're not going to be making money at the, in theaters, so we're going to re- release it video on demand. Um, and that kind of backfired from a corporate point of view. Um, you know, they obviously pissed off AMC to the point where AMC is now not wanting to show any Universal movies. Um, what are your <laughs> thoughts on this? Like, where do you stand in this debate? Uh, you know what? I was just reading up on this yesterday, and I just thought, what a short-sighted move from AMC. Um, you know, essentially, I just can't see that being sustainable with a, a company like Universal, who are really poised to thrive with this new environment where Disney and Fox are kind of combined. Universal is one of the standalone, you know, studios that's going to be able to produce some really unique content and you look at the fact that they have the new Jurassic Park coming out they've just acquired the Lego movie licenses uh, they're in a they're in a little bit of a you know a, a power position for a lot of content and I don't blame them for releasing trolls online like you know you talk about parents not being able to go to theaters you talk about kids expectations and this is a movie for kids and you know what? Give it to them. They needed that distraction. You know, I'll bet you a couple, a few thousand parents got the day off from having to supervise their kids because their kids were watching trolls, right? And exactly. they got some work done. So I think it speaks volumes as well that this thing was able to get to $100 million on home video, which just tells me again that maybe the industry needs to update. When we talk about the, the new normals and things that are emerging around this, this issue right now, maybe one of those things is concurrent releases. So people who want to enjoy content at home can watch it at home. And the people who want to go to the theater can still go to the theater. And maybe that means more money for everybody. At the end of the day, let's be honest here. Not everyone can make it out to the theater for one reason or another. Some people are always going to be stuck at home. So why not have a platform where everyone is, you know, taking a piece of the pie? Um, you know, that's it's I hate saying this, but at the end of the day, AMC is kind of showing a little bit of corporate greed. Um, they're not mm-hmm. they're not they're not negotiating good faith at this point you know a company that's hurting already the fact that they're essentially blacklisted a whole studio and a studio that makes damn good movies and huge movies and blockbusters yep. i don't think it's the smartest thing for them to do long term no i, I think it, it really is just throwing the toys out the pram like it it, it it makes no sense to me in in terms of a long play 
you're already admitting defeat, but you look at what Cineplex does here in Canada, and they're already trying, because the minute you walk into that theater, they're trying to get you to buy that movie digitally. They're trying to get you to use their channels to redistribute that movie to you. And the fact is that AMC are going to be a lot more successful if they embrace that type of forward thinking and embrace the video market versus trying to protect what was. Because the movie industry is changing drastically all the time. We could dedicate entire podcasts to just that subject alone where we're talking about the fact that Disney Plus, you know, its existence just changes the economic model. And in the short term, it's terrible for Disney. They no longer have movies in the vault. They have all this stuff. And I hate to take it in this direction, but I think it's kind of part and parcel of the overall discussion here. And the fact is, is that the companies are looking for the subscription money. The companies are looking for content. They're looking to control their users' uh, experience. And this is just another way that a company's trying to get in personal with people and bypass the middleman, right? And I, I can see, you know, wanting to see Jurassic Park in a theater. I, I don't know that a lot of home theaters are going to cut it. Maybe mine would, but we won't get into that. But Trolls is Trolls. You just need to put it on and entertain the kids. They need to hear the voices and see the characters and be able to lose their minds for the two hours or the four hours that it's on repeat or whatever the duration of the film is. They just need to be able to get that escape in. And I think that it was the right, like I say, the right thing for Universal to do. Yeah, and it's funny because, like, there's been so much controversy around one movie, but other movies have had the same issue where they may have had mm -hmm. a simulcast release or, you know, released soon thereafter. No one botched when Disney... Birds of Prey, nobody balked at that, right? Exactly. Disney, you know, with that the new animated movie that they had, it went to Disney Plus pretty much right after. Um, yeah, and onward. Much, onward and much sooner than anticipated. So it's just kind of funny that there was so much crap about one movie. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, like you said, I think this is a perfect time and a perfect kind of, uh, you know, moment when we can actually look at the business models of theaters, of streaming services, of these direct carriers. Like you said, they want to exclude the middleman. We're even I, I would say as well, the reason why this is an issue for AMC is the fact that that movie made $100 million on home video. The fact that it nullified the whole reason de existence of, of AMC theaters potentially, and that scares their management group. So this is their reaction. It's all about that money because Birds of Prey and all them probably severely underperformed as well because the movies weren't as strong as maybe they were hoping. They weren't branded correctly. I think that was one of the yeah. things for Birds of Prey that they said they wanted to change the title midstream and stuff like that. Yeah, and the thing is, like, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think I'd like... I would love to take a look at the numbers a little closer because I don't think any movie that has kind of done the same approach has made the $100 million. On, um, Trolls was the exception because it was a kid's movie. Like, parents are suffering right now. They have, they're yeah. really hurting right now. They're trying to get their own job done. They're playing teacher. They're playing parent. They're playing boss. They're playing everything. Every role humanly possible um, right now. And if they can have a two-hour distraction, guess what? They're going to take it. So, yeah, mom and dad want to go have a glass of wine after dinner, and the kids get to watch Trolls. Like, everyone wins in that. And it, it was a brilliant move by Universal. Do you think that Trolls would have made $100 million if it was not released video on demand, and it was a 
normal release as if things were like if we were still in normal times. Well, here's the funny thing. I didn't prepare for this article, but I did prepare for it. The previous movie barely cracked 130 million, I think, worldwide. Yep. And that was with the theatrical release and with the video release. Now, I remember kids, I, I have friends with kids around that age, and they were going nuts for it on video and whatnot. I just think that it was, th- and that's why Universal are happy, because it's probably going to beat the projected bo- box office that they had on this home video. So good for them. I just don't think it had the legs to, to really be in theater and knock me down. But that being said, I don't know the industry that well. Maybe those kids going to the AMC theaters and buying popcorn and buying drinks and buying movie tickets really fuel up AMC's you know revenue pool. I don't know, but it certainly wasn't fueling up the movie's pool. And you, you just have to start to wonder about that middleman economic model. Exactly. If we take a look at even sports, you know, WWE and UFC, they've essentially eliminated the middleman in terms of pay-per-view. They now have their own. WWE has their own streaming service. UFC has partnered up with uh, Disney, oddly enough, and ESPN to on and ESPN Plus to sort of distribute their pay-per-views and their special events. So we're essentially seeing the entire industry and how we consume content and how content content is being delivered to us changing drastically. And I think this is going to spark a huge difference and a huge conversation within studios on how all of that is actually going to happen. It's going to make some executives really look at the model, right? And that's, again, if you're sitting there trying to tell me that the horse and buggy is better than the automobile, I'm going to have a problem in any of those meetings. And if any of the leadership of these these companies is sitting there going, yeah, you're right, the horse is better than the car, we're at that transition point. We're at a media transition point where the models are changing. And if you stick with the old stuff, this is why Fox backed out of being in the business and gave it to Disney. They just said, we can't compete with this ever-changing world, with the way that media is going. We know we can't compete, so you take it. Of course, give us lots and lots of money. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, the, the exact thing. There's, you know, if we're going to be not be in the business, we kind of want a nice parting gift. And that's what they got. It was a huge parting gift. You know, it's, it's just interesting to kind of see how the dynamics are going to be changing and these conversations that are going to be happening in the future and just general delivery of content. Um, and, you know, we have a whole episode dedicated to streaming services on our feed um, where we kind of talk about the pros and the cons of having so many streaming services. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into that, <laughs> but, you know, that's the other thing to consider is at what some point it's going to be too much for people to handle and people might just, you know, go back to torrenting or finding illegal ways of getting these things. Yeah, it's it, it's a lot as it is, and it's a lot of, of, of different services to manage as a customer. I, I'm definitely challenged on that. It, it really comes down to a lot of price point stuff. It's, it's a deep well. I think that that's a, a good future content type of, of discussion. Yeah, man. And maybe get some feedback from people on it too. Right? Exactly. Like, exactly. That'd be really how good. How do you feel about the fact that we have all these services and, and potentially more? You know, we were talking about Hulu Canada. There's a lot of different stuff that's, that could be hitting, you know, depending on when these service contracts with Netflix and the other existing providers start to expire. There's a lot of stuff that, that could be branching out and just becoming like whack-a-mole of which service am I going to pay for this month? What am I going to binge? And then what am I going to throw away and pick up? Like what's the constant and what's the throwaway? 
Yeah, like even myself, I've kind of reevaluated all of my streaming services, and I got rid of um, the soccer one. Uh, oh, the, yeah. You know? The, the sports well, ones. The sports ones are really expensive. Like, you know, when you look at, especially right now, where there's not much content in, in this this uh, pandemic world, but but on top of it, they're a dear, dear price commitment. You know, we're talking $20, $30 a month, Dazen and all these other different sports, uh, which are wonderful in their delivery and availability and flexibility of watching options. But... They are a lot of cash. They really to are. Cover. The zone alone is twenty bucks. You know, like that yeah, one. Or, sorry, I call it Dazen. Yeah, Dazen. Yeah. Whatever you want to call it, D A Z N. Yes, um, you know, for our D-A-Z-N. listeners, just so that they know, you know, Dazen here in Canada shows Premiership live. They have the exclusive contract for the Premiership. They have the exclusive contract for Champions League. Like the content when it's actually airing, is huge. Unfortunately, you know, we're right now we're kind of shit out of luck and, and none of that is actually going on for now we'll see in a couple weeks what's going on you know but yeah so that's kind of like the whole streaming side of things obviously you've been indoors um you know you talked about ghost in the shell what other things have you been kind of watching catching up on uh, anything that stands out that you kind of want to have a convo about well i i think you know we're we're at the beginning of may as you you pointed out and that means as you know Probably my wheelhouse is Star Wars. Yep. Um, and I've certainly been intrigued by what's going on with Clone Wars and the fact that I think it's the first time, I might be incorrect on that, I haven't dwelled on this much, but it might be the first time that I can recall that we have a really serious overlap with Episode 3. Like, we're talking episode to episode. Events that are happening in Episode 3 are affecting events that are happening in Clone Wars. And I find that fascinating because it's contextually adding to episode three and it's enhancing the storytelling, but it's hugely dependent. And I understand Star Wars is a complex universe, right? Like as a fan, it is something that that we all probably have seen episodes when we're watching shows like The Clone Wars, but it's a huge buy-in and it's amb- it, it shows ambition by the, the show creators that the fan base is up to speed and ready for this, which I think should be applauded because we're getting credit. Yeah, for once, right? For once, Disney isn't kind of thinking that we're babies, that we won't understand something. They're just giving us the content that people have actually been wanting. You know, they're not thinking about creating new fans per se. They're kind of giving us, the current fans, something that we've been waiting for a really long time. And for once... Here's a question. Yeah. Do you think that that is due to the fact that they had such blowback on the Star Wars franchise? Do you think that that's why they're they're potentially pandering to the fans now? Well, you know, you and I have experience on making corporations pander to fans. So, you know, <laughs> part of me wants to say, yes, this is kind of in response to that. But at the same time, I feel like Clone Wars was handled so well from the overall life cycle of it that they kind of had the end goal in sights i know that it got canceled and picked up again and there's a lot of in between but i feel like they're finally where they always wanted to be with clone wars yeah i think dave filoni 
was definitely regretful and and that whole transition just so we know and i know the timeline at least i i, I think i do um at 2012 when disney purchased clone wars or did purchased lucasfilm clone wars was deep sixed at that point in ambition of doing a show like rebels and whatnot that it kept the people and i think dave was a little bit bitter or upset disappointed that he didn't get a chance to finish off the clone wars and this is this is disney being loyal to him and giving him a shot and i really think that they're giving him a shot on other things when you look at his involvement in the mandalorian and whatnot i think dave filoni is probably their most promising golden ticket for for star wars live action that they can have he clearly understands the world he understands the universe you know if there's anyone that can kind of bring old fans new fans uh together it's it's him like he really understands kind of what he's building um you know if you just take a look at the last few episodes of the clone wars you know i was a little nervous when this season started i thought it was a little bit slow but i knew it was Mm going to build up to something and the past two weeks have just been or three weeks now have just been unreal i have not caught the newest episode i will say that um but there's a reason for this, and that's because I will be watching them all on May the 4th, all back-to-back-to-back-to-back. To yeah. back to back. Um, Probably the best way. Yeah, and because you might as well end it off with a bang, because it feels like we are in a standalone movie at this point, with the way that everything is kind of... The storytelling that they're having, everything kind of coming together, you know, the... Well, even, even the, the front little green Lucasfilm splash and whatnot, it, it has this epic air about it. Which I'm glad they're going for because honestly, just, you know, this might not be the most popular opinion and whatnot, but I thought the four episodes of Ahsoka were kind of shit. And I just thought that that there was that lazy writing that we just need to get her here. And I think what could have been done in two episodes ended up being four episodes. And I think that there's they really only needed to explain one character arc and that was the reason why those people disliked the Jedi. That was that was the whole reason for that so so Ahsoka could could go forward and understand the backlash to the Jedi, which entrenched her in, in that sense, but I just thought that that was a little bit of wasted screen time, but I know that it happens in these animated shows where they're doing their pacing and they're doing their stuff. Yeah, at least it's not Dragon Ball pacing where you have filler episodes, filler, you know, there, there was yeah. luckily no real filler. There was no space whales. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I think the other reason why we got four episodes instead of like the one or two that it should have been is simply because Ahsoka is going to be, it seems, you know, an integral or at least an important part of Mandalorian season two. Yeah, because that's obviously, it's unconfirmed, but pretty much confirmed that they've cast somebody. I forget the the, the person's name. Rosario Dawson. Yeah, it's not Ashley Exton. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, it seems like there's a big, there's a big thing to do there. Um, obviously, she comes back in Rebels, which I do think that, that it is difficult for Disney and Dave Filoni and, and the Star Wars team to really... Uh, uh, deal with the fact that we know the outcomes of so many of these characters it's really it handcuffs them on the storytelling side where they're in a rigid a rigid mood right we know darth maul is in solo and we know darth maul is in rebels and we know you know all this stuff about these characters and we we know when darth maul dies so it it, it 
it's a real battle. I'm I'm gonna put one more complaint though, as well about this season of of Clone Wars, and that is, again, unpopular opinion I think, but the whole confrontation with Maul, not in you know this week's episode. I won't say anything about that, but in last week's episode was almost word for word out of Empire Strikes Back and and every Luke versus Vader confrontation there has been. And I just kind of sat there and the Star Wars kid in me goes, yay. But the fan who's looking at it a little more critically is saying, can you do something new with Star Wars? Like, does it always have to be join us and we will rule the universe, you know? That seems to be the trope. Star Wars has become a trope for that. Um, you know, we've seen it in every trilogy. We've seen it in every even standalone. You know, there's always that join us type thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kylo and Ray. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Um, and so, yeah. So, I think that just Star Wars being Star Wars. And unfortunately, you kind of just have to put up with it. But it's almost line for line. That was, that was my issue. Was like, they didn't even try to be artful around the script it's one thing to implement the concept it's one thing to implement the confrontation or or the opportunity but it's another to just basically well what did george write yeah i remember in empire and he said i'll I'll never join you what what should ahsoka say i'll never join you okay it just felt like it was a draft that maybe they were gonna throw away and then it ended up in the show <laughs> yeah no that's I, that, I feel the same way and it's funny that you brought that up I'm glad that you brought that up because you know this was kind of our are they telling are they kind of saying okay respecting Star Wars and Star Wars history are they being lazy because you know this was also a lot of complaints that people had with the new trilogy especially force awakens and the amount of yeah. illusions and throwbacks and callbacks to the original star wars episode four you know like is this just disney being disney is this kind of just star wars being star wars is this lazy like it's kind of it's kind of funny like that there's yeah. just essentially the same story being retold over and over and over yeah it it's certainly feeling like a bit of a retread now. To be fair, the counterpoint to that would be Mandalorian. Yeah. You know, we have a, a bright, shining example of, of a new idea about what characters in this universe can do and what roles they can play. So It makes me super ha- um, interested and invested into seeing the non-Skywalker characters and kind of seeing other characters finally be able to shine and be part of the Star Wars lore, you know, since they Disney essentially eliminated 90% of the non-Skywalker characters, <laughs> you know, so it's it's about time that we're starting to build these characters up, um, you know, to bring but it back. But isn't it funny how IG-11 is IG-88? Yeah, one hundred percent. Mandalorian is Boba Fett. Yeah, and baby, uh, the child is Baby Yoda, and you know what I mean. Like we have all the familiar people. And it, yeah, again, it's kind of the retelling. You know what I was saying, but at least it's different. It's fresh. It's at different. least it, it, it feels different, and it's got one thing I always liked about Star Wars, and maybe on some of the podcasts that I, I've watched personally and whatnot over the years has always been a little bit critical of is is just how people get dismembered or there's monsters and things like that. I actually like that about Star Wars, that kitsch factor about what's going on. And I like that the Mandalorian doesn't really shy away from it. They do have weird, quirky characters. They do have hangups. They're cutting arms off through doors or people in half through doors and stuff like that. 
I really, I really enjoy the fact that it is observant of its roots. Yeah, exactly. It really is. Um, and John Favreau's has done an awesome job. Can't wait for season <laughs> two. Can't wait for the documentary on Monday. I'm super interested to kind of see that, which leads me to the next yeah. point that I think I think we agree to this that we are going to record a special, you know, spoiler edition. Like we're gonna, you know, we're I, I know that we're both kind of holding back on getting too spoilery here, but uh, after we watch stuff on the fourth, we're gonna record even you know just a quick episode, uh, yeah. throwing that out there, uh, and and we're gonna talk all things Star Wars. It is gonna be May the fourth, so let's might as well enjoy what disney gives us and um and chat about it because i have a feeling that clone wars is going to just give us one more surprise at the very end i have this feeling that something major is going to happen yeah and you haven't even seen this week's episode no exactly there's a little bit of a fun bit in there and um yeah mandalorian that new behind the scenes i'm really interested to see some of this tech that they have and whatnot and then as well, for all of our Disney Plus subscribers and fans out there, we have the release of The Rise of Skywalker, if you haven't seen it, or or thought that there was too much odor or controversy around the trilogy, at least if you subscribe to the service, uh, you're going to be able to stream that in and at least catch a glimpse of it or, or see if you approve or disprove of how they ended the Skywalker saga, which I think is fan- uh, an interesting topic as well. Yep, we're going to talk about all that on Monday, on the 4th. Uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, mm-hmm. So stay tuned. You know, we kind of give you a little bit of preview now. We'll kind of tune in, subscribe, and uh, <laughs> you can listen to us rant uh, or talk or whatever a little more. Uh, going to see if we can get Bramble on for a little bit on the, that episode. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. That would be fantastic. Uh, so that's Star Wars. In terms of um, anything else that you've kind of been uh, spending a lot of your time on? You know what? Uh, that standalone complex, um, Ghost in the Shell. I, I enjoyed having it back. I gotta say, I told you last night. It they ended it off, and it felt like I got punched in the anus. Um, it was not the ending that I expected Netflix to do, um, and to be brave with an animated series and to get the people involved that they did. As far as I'm not a super huge behind the scenes guy into this, but I have been. A fan of Ghost in the Shell over the years, and um, that that I felt there was a lot of controversy that I read on the internet. And aside from the animation being a little bit different for especially for Ghost in the Shell, I thought the characters held up pretty well, and I thought uh, the story was pretty good. Like I I definitely would recommend anybody who's on the fence about it to to definitely tip on the side of watching it. It's yeah. twelve episodes, so it's fairly significant at half an hour each episode. So it's, not but it's not it's not huge. No. Yeah, I was a little bit shocked because I was like watching it last last week at midnight, and I'm like, oh, it's just going to be an hour, little Ghost in the Shell tease special type yeah. thing, and twelve episodes. Oh, jeez. Very cool. Very cool. Um, do you see more coming what out of you? it? Me in What's terms that? of in terms of what? What have you been watching? <laughs> Honestly, I've been watching. I've been playing a lot of catch up on a lot of uh, shows that I kind of not even gave up on. Uh, you know the whole. Uh, Arrowverse kind of just been catching up on that. I did see the Crisis of Infinite Earth, but I wanted to go mm. back and actually watch everything before that. Uh, so kind of been doing that. I still haven't watched too much of Batwoman, but that's kind of on my queue list uh, mm-hmm. to watch next. I'm, you know, I think that that show's pretty good, a lot better than what people gave it credit for. Um, I mm-hmm. think Ruby Rose 
is doing an awesome job as Batwoman. Um, so we'll see where kind of how that goes. Um, in regards, I haven't, let's see, what else have I been watching? Been watching actually some, um, for new stuff, I've actually, again, just because news has been so negative, I just try to completely zone out. Um, you know, I've been watching reality TV, believe it or not. Woo. Yeah. Wow, that, that's a surprise. I know, right? Me of all people. So I've been oh, yeah. watching a lot of, uh, it's funny as this is going to sound, Vanderpump Rules and okay. Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. That's what I've wow. been watching. Oh, you know what? I did watch some reality TV, and that reminded me, because I used to watch a lot of it, and I gave it up. But I went back and I watched Lego Masters. Yes. With Will, Will Arnett. Like yes. That, that, was, that was actually a lot of fun each week. I, I enjoyed even though it was reality TV and there's all those little reality TV-isms, it made fun of itself, which yeah. I thought was quite refreshing for it, a show. Well, Will Arnett, Will Arnett is awesome. You know, he has that Lego connection already. Um, for listeners who don't know, Phil is a huge collector. Huge collector of Lego. <laughs> it's insane. Did you buy the A-Wing today? Yeah, I did. Yeah, of course yeah, you did. Yeah, the UCS, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So I knew you would watch, be watching that show, and it's, you know, I liked it. Like, I've only seen a few episodes. Um, I don't even know when it's supposed to be on, but they would air. It's it, over now. They, yeah. They've, they've completed the season. It was on every Wednesday after Wednesday, the Masked that's what I Singer, thought. which looks like a train wreck of a show for me. Um, it, it, was, it was good. I liked it for the fact that there, I know that we found out since then there were some fake contestants in the mix or people who were Lego enthusiasts who maybe got paired up into teams that they didn't know each other. So there's a little bit of a controversy there. But Boone and, and, and his mate and, you know, the people who the, the people who won it, they're all, like, a lot of those people are known in the community uh, as right. longtime Lego builders. So it was kind of nice to see them competing for it. And I oh, think that's that cool. lens some legitimacy to the next season which they're promising is coming sometime yeah like yeah i would watch it on saturdays fox would always re-air the episode on saturday mm -hmm. so that's when i watched that's why i didn't know what actual day it was on i assumed right. it was wednesday just because knowing their schedule um which yeah. is kind of funny all things considered uh so <laughs> yeah i've been watching a lot of reality tv been catching up on uh, comic books um right now obviously there are no comic books really being delivered um except for dc DC, I think, has pissed off the entire comic industry, um, mm. with especially Diamond wow. and comic book stores. Uh, just to give you some some info on and background there, essentially, you know, the way that comic books are distributed is that there's one distributor called Diamond. They send out all of the books to um, all of the comic book stores from the publisher. Now, because mm. of this uh, pandemic and whatnot. Diamond essentially said, we're not going to be shipping to stores. There's no point. Stores aren't open. Tough. Uh, you know, and DC has actually found a new partner uh, to mm. send it to not only comic book stores, but general retailers. So, right. you know, they're kind of going through Diamond and uh, regular comic book stores and partner comic book stores that they've been partnered with for God knows how long. And going direct to stores, direct to consumers. Um, what makes this a lot more interesting is that, you know, doing some paperwork and groundwork, you kind of realize that it is a comic book store that is actually running this distributor. 
So there's a lot of controversy there and a lot of people are upset. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I think that this is just the beginning of, you know, DC being owned by AT&T, uh, Marvel being owned by Disney. You know, there's a lot of whispers that Marvel wants to distribute their own comic books. They want to do their own thing. They might even, you know, stop sending out physical copies of certain books or something like that. There's always rumors up and down about that sort of stuff. So I think this is the beginning of the end. You know, these large corporations, they're not going to want to play with a company like Diamond, as large as Diamond is. I just think that, you know, similar to the whole AMC Universal thing, we're just going to see a change. Yeah. It's industry changing, right? And, you know, I've been been lucky in that I switched over to... To, and I'm a collector, but I switched over to digital comics for a lot of the titles that I do read. Um, just due to the compactness of them, I read them on an iPad, and I can zoom them with my old man eyes and stuff like that. Um, I've been reading the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance comics, um, which are published uh, through Amazon Kindle. I've just been searching for them there and getting them on release date. And, uh, you know, I've, I've also been reading... Uh, Dark Crystal, the young adult novels that were the precursor for Age of Resistance, just to find out some of the character divisions and 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 differences between that and the show that they're doing now. So that's some additional weird stuff. Uh, you know, full disclosure, I'm also a huge Jim Henson fan. Uh, so all things Muppets and everything are always on the table for me. So if there's any Muppet fans out there that wanna dig into a topic about that please let us know <laughs> and we're for sure going to dedicate a whole episode to that i've been waiting for for this opportunity for a while just because i you know i just love that lore not as much as you obviously but you know that's that's something that i really want to talk about and i'm sure we can find some cool people to chat with about that yeah yeah you know what the, the interesting part about the dark crystal and at least for me watching what's happening in that sphere of of the fandom you know you you had a show that a movie that's you know ages old like 20 30 years old or 40 i don't know but uh, regardless you have a really one two hour movie and you had a whole bunch of people holding the candle for all that time and making their own fan fiction and and provoking henson to to get into it again and now they're rewarded with just even the first season. If there is a second season, we're still in limbo about it. But the first season of that Age of Resistance has just... It's inundated the fans to the point where they're almost paralyzed with content now. Because they're so used to not having content. And now they have hours and hours and hours worth of stuff to dig through. Is uh, anyone from the Hanson family running the creative side of it? Yeah, Lisa and Cheryl... Uh, both his daughters are basically in charge of this whole endeavor. The Toby uh, Toby Froud and his bro- father Brian Froud and his mom are were all involved in Labyrinth and the Dark Crystal originally, and they were uh, instrumental. Toby was actually the baby from Labyrinth, uh, so he is in charge of creature effects and and all that stuff. So the 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 torch has definitely passed, and even even Brian, his other son. He produced that wonderful. Um, you remember that Muppet movie that just came out, uh, uh, the Happy Time Murders? That oh, was yeah. basically an X-rated Muppet yeah. movie. Yeah, the one with uh, the He did that, and that is like a massive controversy at points because people are saying that it betrays the idea of the Muppets. But what people don't really understand is that Jim Henson had that leaning 
as a creator, he wanted the Muppets and the puppets to do things that people couldn't do on screen. And it wasn't, you know, odd for him or Frank to go to the afternoon adult movies or anything like that. Uh, it wasn't out of character for the guys. So I know it's, I don't want to besmirch Jim Henson's name or surprise any fans, but you know the the movie wasn't as off base for what the overall vision was even even for his father so but that's just typical fandom at this point right fandom is like the best and the worst thing that can happen to any franchise yeah yeah and, everybody's a, a critic right when it offends them and you know if it offends you and i totally get it just don't watch it choose not to collect it or don't you know don't don't enjoy it don't don't consume it it's that simple like it's not one of my favorite movies but it was a far better movie than i would have thought it would be um and i i i really like the spirit to which the intended creation was meant and uh i, I gotta say i laughed I, I have that sense of humor in me where when the silly string came out i was on the floor no matter how many times i've seen it um, yeah. Yeah, and and the fact is, I really like it too because there's a Toronto connection with a lot of this stuff. A lot of it's filmed here in Toronto. A lot yeah. of the the, yeah. the Muppet stuff, and even Fraggle Rock is back on Apple TV Plus. They they yeah, have weekly huge. episodes that are five minutes long. Yeah. So Disney owns the Muppets, but they don't own any of the other content by Jim Henson. Yeah. I think they may own Willow as well. Because for some reason, I saw Fearless Fred talking about this today. Willow is set in the same universe as Star Wars. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> I love and that. I, I, I was going to say no, no, no. And now I'm, I, I do recall that there was talk of a Disney Plus uh, 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 Willow kind of show. And that would make sense because I'm like, how did they get Willow out of that? That's <laughs> and amazing. If it's in that same universe, <laughs> licensing and all that and contracts are a hell of a thing, you know. Like I, sometimes I bet you these companies have no idea what they're purchasing when they order purchase like a full <laughs> franchise or brand. Can you imagine Bob Iger when he tried to unpack 20th Century Fox? <laughs> oh my god, that's insane. <laughs> You know, even at one point when, when Disney bought Miramax, they owned the Kevin Smith movies. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And that's so, they, they were the proud owners of Dogma, Dogma. the shit <laughs> demon. <you know? laughs> that's why Dogma, you can never find out on any streaming service ever. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I still have the physical copy done up like the Bible. Same. I, I have... Um, <laughs> no, I don't have that version. I have just the regular release. And it's... Out of all the Kevin Smith movies, that one is not my fair, but it's... it's Yeah, it's just, it's special. It's special. It, you know what? The cast in that movie was kick-ass. I gotta say. Oh, yeah. That, that was probably the most insane grouping of people. You know, that and, and Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back were just top of the game for casting. Yeah, because that's when Kevin Smith just kind of, like, became his own, you know, after chasing Amy, and, you know, it was mm -hmm. just, like, everyone wanted to be a part of the View Askew universe, and he found room for a lot of people, and it's just hilarious. It's well, hilarious. Remember, I think ABC used to do it. They they had a Clerks cartoon. Yep, yep. On air. I have the DVDs of that. Yeah, they, that, that, <laughs> that is a thing. That is a thing. Um, yeah. But... And Kevin Smith, that's actually another episode that I want to do is to have this whole yeah. View Askew universe discussion, especially now with the reboot out. You know, just 
taking it all in. Uh, yeah, we're gonna have a lot of fun with a lot of these different ideas that we have. Um, video games. Have you been playing any video games? Uh, you know what? Uh, in a in a bad guilty way, I've been playing The Division Two. Right. which is all about a pandemic <laughs> hitting major cities. Uh, you'd think that it would be depressing, but they've Ubisoft have fixed it up enough that it's very playable. And uh, I've enjoyed that, but I've also been playing Animal Crossing, <laughs> the New Horizons on the I've Switch. I've never been able to Nintendo. get into those. I've never been able to get into any of those Animal Crossing games. Explain to me what the lure is for these games. It, this is a really weird one for me, even. Uh, I, I'm more prone towards, I think, where you lean in these adventure action games and sports and, and things like that. But Animal Crossing kind of hit my radar. Um, I put myself into it. There's a lot of grinding. There's a lot of sitting there and trying to get fish and trying to, you know, fish fish out of the sea or rivers, chop trees, do whatever. But... The fact is, is that the game is basically non-offensive on every front. And in this world where you turn on the news and it's just so depressing all the time, I actually look forward to my hour of Animal Crossing or two hours or whatever time until I get saturated with cuteness and go, oh, I got to go kill something. Um, it, it really tickles a weird bone. It's funny though too because almost anywhere where you know on the limited use on the limited times where you're out there interacting with people, if you bring up Animal Crossing, almost everybody that I've brought it up to is playing it. Yeah, like, I know. Full on adults like me and my wife play it and blah blah. And I'm like, really? Like, holy cow! Like, I thought this was an outlier that I was sending out there, and it's so globally embraced right now it really is um i just never got into them ever so it's just like one of those things that i just personally don't understand but to each their own like the power to uh, everyone i was never really privileged as a kid i was a sega kid you know i had GoBots. i didn't have transformers um i didn't have a nintendo my friend had a nintendo so the nintendo world is new to me mm -hmm. so even I'm in a very similar spot. I've never had exposure to these titles really before for prolonged periods of time. So to me, putting in Mario World or whatever it just blows my mind. And then I get, you know, a little bit tired of it because it's basically not aimed at, you know, 40 plus year old males. Yeah, pretty um, much. So it gets a little tedious, Mario Kart, things like that. But uh, it's an interesting study as far as video games go because when i go to my harder core ps4 or xbox video game and play those and then i i look at what nintendo is doing in their space with their hardware it, it's it, it's educational at the very least it, it's worth the participation if you're a big fan of the industry which i am so um yeah, uh, beyond doing that kind of stuff, it's been Jedi Fallen Order. Yeah, I haven't finished it yet. Been dragging my feet on it. There's so many puzzles and whatnot. There really is. It's a fun yeah, game. It's a little buggy. Yeah. I'm playing. I played it on PS4, and it was a little buggy at times, uh, which angered me to the point where I stopped playing for like two, three weeks, and then I picked it up again. I finished it a while ago. Um, nice. As soon as I finished that, I tried finally playing The Witcher Three. Mm. I just couldn't get into game. it. I couldn't get into nope, it. Me neither. I played I, about I, fifteen yeah. hours, and I'm like, "Now nah, this uh, this is in my cup of tea." 
Um, and that's when I started playing Death Stranding. And I that is my cup mm-hmm. of tea. Like, Kojima... Anything Kojima, I will just eat it up. I will. I love those types of games. I love those different games. Games that you have to kind of think about sometimes, your non-traditional games. Yeah. Like, um, during this quarantine, I'm staying at my parents' place, and I brought my system. And my mom literally watches me play Death Stranding, this guy literally walking. And she's like, how is this fun? I'm like, trust me. There's more to it. <laughs> yeah. That game, that game I, I, I think I bought it over at the Christmas break. I had a good sale on it. And, yeah, uh, it's a great. It's it can fu- be upsetting. It, it it is pretty heavy. There's it is. some stuff in that that started to emotionally affect me, even early on. It it's it's a little leaned a little too much into the horror end for me, but it's very well done. It is. I, I've returned to it a couple times. I take it in doses, and um, I, I've really enjoyed it. And you know, I had to do the same thing with Last of Us which I know Last of Us 2 is, is coming out June 19th now, I think, is the new date. Um, yep. I'm looking forward to that. There's there's some really great gaming experiences out there right now. And again, you know, what we can do with our spare time, um, there's a lot a lot to be absorbed, you yeah, know, like, beyond the, the silly stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. like right now I'm, I'm just 100% on Final Fantasy VII Remake. That's been eating yeah, up my time. That's fantastic. that's been a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, let us know what games you've been playing, what you've been watching, TV wise, movie wise, reality TV wise. I'm interested. Mm-hmm. I want I want to know if I'm the only freak out there who's been watching Vanderpump Rules. Um, right. And you even brought up conspiracy theories. I think at one point. Yep, yep. There's a whole so. episode that we I've been wanting to do this episode for years. Literally, one of the reasons why I started a podcast is just to talk about conspiracy theories. There's another podcast. That I want to do a cross podcast thing with, uh, so yeah, a lot of fun stuff that we're planning. And like I said, if we can kind of get take your mind off of things for two hours, that's that's then I'm happy. Um, so, so I gotta ask with conspiracy theories: Are we talking like aliens? Are we talking Bigfoot? We're, doc- we we're talking, talking deep state, like everything. Deep state, deep state from off. from deep state to you know. To, to 5G, which I'm not even going to open up that oh. can of worms yet, but yeah, no. to everything, everything, everything conspiracy theories, to JFK, to Cuba, to China, but, to But everything. even this week with, with, the, with the Pentagon or whatever U.S. entity releasing these new videos yes. of, of UFOs, interesting timing. Like yeah. Even E-Talk yeah. was talking about the fact that this might be a distraction. Like they're even jumping on the conspiracy wagon in pointing that out. Like Ben Mulrooney sitting there going, "Oh well, that seems a little weird." Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, the timing is funny, um, but I, unfortunately, I don't think that much can really distract us. Like, what more can happen in twenty twenty? Yeah. Like, if you think no, about twenty twenty, it, it, like it's just crazy. It goes both ways, right? Is it is it distracting us or is it slipping it through? Because sure. no one's looking. True. Right, like I, I'll take the Joe Rogan road on that one. I love that. Like, like, is it just you know now now we supposedly were told about it, so don't say that we didn't tell you. Exactly, <laughs> that's, that's so true. I love that. I love that that route too. Um, I've heard those <laughs> those arguments for and against. It's just really funny to to hear that. Uh, so yeah, so like I said, you know, there's a lot of things that we're going to be talking about in this new iteration of the It's Canon podcast. Uh, so yeah, um, you know, and and if you 
one thing that I do want to do is be a little more interactive with our fans, our listeners, um, fans, our listeners. Uh, so, Phil, how about you tell our listeners how they can get a hold of us, uh, where they can find us, and all that fun stuff. Well, you know, you can you can hit us up on Twitter. You can hit us up on Instagram. Uh, it's Canon Podcast uh, on both uh, Facebook. Um, we're also looking at if you want to contact Boris, you can just email him Boris at it's Canon Podcast, Phil at it's Canon Podcast, um, and we're also uh, on SoundCloud. It's Canon Podcast. We're on Spotify. We're pretty much anywhere where you're gonna find the podcast and whatnot, but you know just reach out to us send us send us a tweet at our main accounts and uh we're definitely going to be engaging and, and looking at that content and, and and creating some stuff from it exactly uh so before we go on break just kind of want to set it up uh we do have an interview coming the interview is with anton hygienist he is part of a band called the artful vandalays based out of toronto uh had a great chat with him so you're going to be hearing that uh, and then after that, it'll be Phil and I. So thanks. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
Vandalay's Lucid, uh, you know, we're going to be talking, I'm going to be talking about that with Anton, uh, you know, and how you can see their quarantine video for that song. Uh, they did a really cool thing, um, and, you know, please check it out. It's like, gonna, you can find it on Instagram, at Artful Vandalay's, uh, check it out, it's really cool. Uh, so, without further ado, here's my interview with Anton. And right now, I am joined by one member of the Artful Vandalay's my good friend, my baseball buddy, my acquaintance, my best friend's husband, Anton Hygienist. What is going on, man? Not nice much. Nice to finally be here. Nice to finally be on this podcast. Yeah, it's been uh, five years and uh, you know, you're finally good enough to be on the podcast. So thanks for coming on. I've been working on that goodness score and I think I got it just at the right spot right now. So. <laughs> awesome awesome so yeah so like i you know throughout the show we've been talking about you know why we're why we're back essentially you know we want some positivity we want to have some good conversation we're going to have some different conversation uh you know when you turn on the news it's just negativity sadness you know shit like that not not right now not this podcast i want to have a real conversation you know and you know allow my listeners to get to know someone from the Toronto music scene, someone that I know really well, um, not necessarily like you, but at least know more about you. That's true. I don't expect them to like me. The more <laughs> people get to know me, the less they like me is what I've realized. I think that's true for everyone though. Isn't that like, I think to a certain extent you, it is. When you meet someone for the first time, you're like, Oh, that person's awesome. I think, I think everyone's awesome. And they just slowly go down from there. So I would, it's not necessarily imagine, how you, not imagine where you were. <laughs> <laughs> exactly it's t after 10 years of friendship here we are i know it's hard man it's, it's crazy yeah. no but, but it's, it's true cool. like it's to me it's kind of one of those things as you get to know someone you know they're not they're not perfect you realize that they're not perfect but that's kind of where you make the distinction of whether they're actually going to stay your friend or you're just going to ghost them you know um i think ghost after them. 10 years it's, it's safe yeah. to say that we're not going to be ghosting each other uh anytime soon 
Well, they say that you, you every, it's actually an increment of six years. So it's six years, 12 years. So we'll see what happens at the 12 year. Um, well, okay. Let's well, see if uh, in two years, if I interview you again. Yeah, exactly. That's how we'll know, right? It's a good way to figure it out. Awesome. So like I mentioned at the top, Artful Vandalays, Toronto Music Scene, Toronto Music Band, uh, you know, started off mid 2000s, kind of took a break in the knots. Now you're back. Uh, let's let, can you tell me a little bit about the Artful Vandalays, how you joined, uh, how you found them, you know, and, and what you do with them? So Artful Vandalays was uh, a band that was started by um, a couple of people, um, and, well, three people actually. It was a guy who ha- had uh, a small, like they were a big Muse influence group, and they were looking for a singer because it's just three of them. And um, one of the still original members was Kevin O'Leary, who's still uh, part of the band now. And he was the only original member, actually. So they auditioned me in 2007. Um, they found me on a website called Quizlist, which is like Kijiji, but back then that's what everyone used to use. Um, and they interviewed me in the basement of the drummer. And um, I was there, I was singing some Muse songs, and they were like, yep, this guy's the one. And later on, um, Kevin told me that they'd interviewed so many other people and most of them were really strange and um, they were just excited to meet someone who was around their age. Um, whereas there's a lot of like 40 year olds, I guess, trying out seeing um, uh, show tunes and things like that, which was not really the vibe they were going for apparently. So they, they went through with me and um, now it's just myself, Kevin and two other guys that we met. One of them who's the drummer we met on Craigslist as well in 2010 and uh, Brian, who's a good friend of my wife, uh, my current wife, obviously, she was my girlfriend at the time, but um, she, um, we met Brian that way, and he was the guitarist, and so I invited him to play. So that's that's the four of us. That's the story of the band, and that was ten years ago that the four of us started playing together, and um, we actually recently just released a live recording of a song called Lucid, which was the first song that the four of us wrote together, and for some reason we had never recorded until now. And so because we were in quarantine, we all just recorded a live one take rendition of our parts and we sent them with video and audio. And Kevin, who is an audio engineer, worked his audio magic and made it sound amazing. And uh, Braden, who's really good with video, uh, put together uh, the four clips and made it look really nice. And that's what we just did. So we've been, um, we've been pretty busy, even though We've not been able to meet each other. Unusual. And um, I hope we can keep doing it. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh, I will add the link for the video so everyone can check it out. It's an awesome video. Yeah. Uh, the mix was, it's actually, I'll be 100% honest, it's my favorite song of yours. Yeah, it's currently um, on um, IGTV. Yes, Instagram, you know, where everyone is trying to get content out Me nowadays. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, yes. you know, so it's you've been a part of the band cut for... Through. Exactly. You've been a part of the band for 10 years. Um, were you a part of any bands before the Artful Vandalays? I was. Um, not that many, though. So, in, I mean, in high school, I was always in bands with uh, friends. And I also had a band with my older brothers. Um, and uh, I had three older brothers, and we all played instruments. So we used to play, like, we played my sister's weddings, uh, two, two of my sister's weddings, but things like that. And and I guess the first band that I joined um, through the whole Craigslist thing, there was this other band that didn't even have a name. 
and I joined, uh, I auditioned for them and it was a similar experience where these guys were all older than me. I was probably like 21, 22 at the time. And, um, and he, and these guys were interviewing me to join as their singer. And at that time I was not that comfortable playing guitar in a band, but I was just like the singer. So I would stand there and sing. And um, I sang these songs that they had already written and I just performed them and they, and they liked it. So we played like Drake underground and a couple of venues. And then that band like kind of not broke up, but we were taking a break. And during that time I was cheating on them and I interviewed for Artful Vandalays. It was, it was a really interesting time, 2007 for, uh, for me musically. I was like a 22, 23 year old kid and um, just auditioning for bands. Yeah, it was interesting. Cool, you mentioned that you played with your siblings um you know is is, is music uh, important influence in your family uh you know what was the first uh uh instrument that you played and how young were you well yeah actually i guess music was a big part of um my family and upbringing so my oldest brother um played guitar and he had this nice guitar that my dad bought him and he would never let me touch it and i always wanted to play but he would he would just not let me touch his guitar or teach me or anything so when I was um, 13 or 14, I went to what was called cash converters. It's like a pawn shop. That was a, it was a brand of pawn shops that was pretty popular at the time. And I went there and I looked for the cheapest guitar they had. And they had this like red mini electric guitar with one string on it for 40 bucks. And I, I bought that and I took it home in a garbage bag. I remember on the bus with my brother. And uh, that was my first guitar. And I just learned by going to the library and borrowing books because I, I never took music in school. So I just had to learn from the beginning. I got a full set of strings, obviously, put that on there. And then I, I just never stopped. Uh, I think I, I got into the Beatles, which is probably one of the reasons why I, I play music to this day is, I don't know, I just really loved the Beatles when I was 13 and I just couldn't stop playing guitar and singing. Now singing, I, I'd been singing since I was like four or five years old. I'd sing like Lion King and things like that I'd always just be singing and um, trying to sing and trying to be better at it um, yeah music was always a part of my family like we were all into it and we had you know bands growing up and it was unavoidable in some ways I couldn't escape it yeah how about today is it still a big part of your family like do you guys at family dinner sing kumbaya together is it you know how profound is it you know, it's changed a little bit. Actually, it's changed a lot. So yeah, while we're all still a musical family, it's not nearly as much of a focus. It's more of like a nostalgia thing. So we, we've been doing Zoom calls with my family since we've been in quarantine. And I guess you inevitably someone will break into song at some point, usually like. So I remember when, I, when we got married, my wife and I in 2013, we came home to my parents' house to say hi to everyone. And all my family was there, which is rare because like my sister flew in from California. My sister is from Ottawa. They're here from all over the place for our wedding. And so the day after the wedding, we stopped by my parents' house and we walked in and all my siblings are there and my wife is there. And she's like meeting some of them for the first time other than the wedding. And they just start singing the circle of life um, from Lion King. And they sang the whole song, That's right? Awesome. And my wife and I are just standing there like, is this done yet? Is this done yet? <laughs> it's over. And that was, I remember my wife to this day, she always reminds me, do you remember when your family sang us the circle of life after we got married? <laughs> That's amazing. So That's yeah, a, I guess it is a part of our family. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird way. Like you don't actually think about it until someone directly asks you. It's like, oh yeah, it's still there. Yeah, um, it's you know, totally. now that you have a family of your own, 
uh, you know, yeah. you do have a daughter. Uh, yeah. Are you going to kind of instill this music on her or are you going to allow her to choose it? Or, you know, how are you going about that as a, as a father now? You know, it's, it's not something I do consciously. I, I think she's always around music. Like there's a music room in our house and she's always trying to play the drums. She thinks the drums are hers. So yeah, and she's always surrounded by it. I, I personally, and you know, I, I feel bad if she hears this at some point. I personally don't think she has the um, inclination or the interest. I wouldn't say talent. I don't think she has the interest in music. See, when I, when, when I think about what people call talent, I don't think it exists. I think what it comes down to is if you have an interest in something, you're going to devote time to get good at it. And me, when I was young, I devoted a lot of time to sing and play guitar. So that's why I'm somewhat proficient at it. But if you don't have an interest in it, you'll never be good at it because you don't want to be right. So she doesn't seem to have much of an interest in music, like rhythm and drums. That's the only instrument that I could see that she was interested in. But like, singing and things like that she's interested like she likes singing but she's not particularly good at it and she hasn't really tried to get better at it like when i try to teach her how to sing properly she's just like i'm bored of this what she's really into is like arts and crafts and painting like she right. loves that stuff and it's not something that i grew up with necessarily right. i think everyone has their different interests and for her i don't think music is on the top uh for list but who knows what can happen a lot yeah of things can happen obviously she likes it because it's something that she sees you do she's obviously seen right. you know you record things maybe she's seen videos yeah. of you know the, the videos you post on instagram and whatnot so she knows yeah. it's important to you so she's like oh i want to do what daddy does but yeah, for exactly. her to actually take it upon herself that's a whole different story and that's exactly what that's you mean true. right like it's that's that exactly initiative right. yeah yes yeah you have to want it on your own you know anything you learn from your parents can only go so far like Music was not given to me by my parents, my older siblings, maybe. But yeah, you know, I think that you, you generally get into things more when they're your own interest and they came from you and not from anyone else, or at least not from, you know, your family. It's, it's really hard to, from the way I look at it, the way I grew up, it would be really hard for me to devote my life to something that I learned from my parents, you know? It's funny because I I, I feel like we should be um, you know, playing this to a lot of uh, soccer and hockey parents because uh, you know <laughs> exactly. that's the reality. Like you know, you, there's yeah. only so far you can only go so far. Liking yeah. something, playing something, whether it be a sport or an instrument or anything, doing anything because your parents wanted you to. Bingo. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. at the end of the day, it comes down to you as a person. What drives right. you? You know. That's and, right. and and it could be that your parents introduce you to something that you just love. And that happens a lot, right? There are a lot of like baseball dads who their kids play baseball because, you know, they instilled that in them, but they also loved it, right? You can tell when a kid loves it or doesn't, right? If they're just doing it, going through the motions. And that's kind of what I mean by with my kid. Like, I feel like if I spent more time trying to get her into music, she might get into it, but it's not something she's going to love forever. You know, I'd rather her, she just came to it on her own type of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And I think that's the best approach you can take, really. And I think that's the the millennial approach to things, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned yeah. the Beatles as a big music influence. You mentioned your siblings slash family. You know, as a mm -hmm. as a music writer, you know, what influences you? You know, you've obviously written a, some music here and there. You know, what? how to talk to me about, how, you know, the, the process, the influence, getting things down. Like, talk me through it. Well, it's, um, there's two different types of music creation. So the, the type of creation that I'd always done was by myself. So since I was like 14, I was writing songs by myself, not with a band. It was just, I would yeah. write songs. And songs that no one will ever, ever, ever hear exactly. or see or anything. Exactly. Just, yeah, notebooks and whatnot. 
I, I have a hard drive full of like maybe 250 songs that I've written that are recorded that are just acoustic renditions or whatever. And yeah, like honestly, like anything, you have to do something a lot before you get anywhere close to good at it. And those songs are terrible, most of them, right? It's just, you need to get all the terrible stuff out before you get to any of the good stuff. So later on, I think after I met the guys in the Vandalays, I, I really improved as a musician and a songwriter because they it would challenge me, right? We, there's four guys now bringing everything that they've learned about songwriting to the table. And if I was like, hey guys, I came up with this thing, they would tell me right away, if they're like, yeah, it's not that good. Or sometimes it comes with something and they'd be like, that's awesome, let's work on that. So it was cool because you're not just writing the first thing that comes to your mind, you're writing something that the other guys around you also like. So you're coming together with a collaborative thing. I think songwriting that way is way more fun, way more challenging, but way more fun and it produces much better results. So yeah, it's, it's changed over time, but writing with other people, especially the guys in, in Arful Vandalay is, is, um, is a lot of fun. You know, we don't write as many songs as we'd like because we're perfectionists and we like make sure everything is to our standard. But uh, yeah, writing songs with the, with the band is, is just the, the best experience. Yeah, that's one thing I've noticed about the band. You know, knowing all of you personally, being friend, good friends with all four of you guys, you're all perfectionists. You're all so passionate also about music. And you're all, you know, you, you guys are very, um, I, don't, I don't even know how to describe it. Just, just so into what you're doing. Um, so many ideas coming together. And, and to be honest, like I said, you know, uh, knowing that Lucid was a song that you guys were together, it makes sense. Hey, that's my favorite song. So, you know, hey, you're doing something right. So that, that's really cool. Um, yeah. You know, have you taken everything that you've learned uh, with that collaboration um, type of songwriting? And are, are you writing music on your own? Do you have any solo aspirations? Or is it more just hobby by myself, but I have my band to kind of do uh, public listening stuff it's kind of like that yeah I, I wouldn't i wouldn't call it a hobby necessarily but one thing i realized when we got back together so in 2018 um october november we met met up and dis discussed getting back together so in 2013 we kind of split up because i got married had a kid later on same with brian and you know life gets in the way of doing things so we we broke up for a while when we got back together what i realized was in that five years i kind of did a cold turkey thing where i didn't even play any music at all. I didn't write or anything. And I realized that that was a big part of my life. And you can't just walk away from something that's so, so much ingrained in you. So coming back together and writing a song, the first thing we did was wrote a song together. And it was just such an awesome feeling. And since then, once that bottle is open, I've been constantly writing on my own, but not so much for public consumption necessarily, but more just because it's a compulsion and I need to. And I really enjoy it. So I have been recording things on my own. Most of it will never see the light of day. There was like one song that I released just because, you know, my, my wife sang on it and my daughter was kind of featured as a, like a cameo too. And I just threw that up there. But like for the most part, yeah, I do write. But for me, it's more like practice and a little bit like it's therapy. You know, that's what I realized. Like it's like mental health therapy. When I write songs, things come up in the lyrical content that I didn't even realize I was thinking about. And um, that's kind of what it always was for me, right? Write music, writing music and writing lyrics was always just like therapy, self-help. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the not the stuff that I would ever release in the song. Necessarily right, the band, for but sure. Yeah, writing. Yeah, no, and that's the thing. Like, you did go 100% cold turkey. Like, you went mm -hmm. from band, 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 band being the, you know, the number one, number two thing in your life to 
nothing to, hey, I've now like baseball. Uh, baseball essentially took over for those five years that the band wasn't together. Um, and then when the band got together, you know, it just, it, it just, I, I know as a fact, I just hate you again. And, you know, the, it, the bug uh, bitch and, and here you are. Like, it's, it's crazy to yeah. kind of see that your life kind of just molded around what you were, like, you know, your, 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 your release your emotional release, <laughs> whether it be a sport or, or music, you know, everyone needs that. It's super important. And, you know, there's, I think it's, that's one of the key things. Like for me, this show is part of that emotional release. I get to talk yeah. about the things that I don't have the opportunity to really talk about much. Um, right. I get to talk to awesome creators, help them promote their work and whatever. This is my release. Um, I still get the heebie-jeebies listening to my own voice when I um, make edits or, you know, even release something. I don't, I still in the back of my mind think, oh my God, did I say something stupid? Is anyone going to disagree with me? Am I going to be called an asshole? And, you know, or something like that. <laughs> It's, that's always oh, in the back of my sense, mind, yeah. but it's my release. And at the end of the day, it makes me super happy being able to put something out there. And hopefully if, you know, it's that cliche, one person listens to it, I'll be happy. And it's true. Like for me, that's how I view this show. It really helps me. So going back to the Artful Vandalays, you know, you mentioned that you guys took a five-year hiatus because of, of real life. Um, what brought you guys back together? Like, I know you guys didn't like break up in the, in the, not really being friends point of view per se, but you know, you guys still were talking, everyone kind of went their own route. Mm -hmm. um, but what was the inspiration that kind of brought you guys back together? Um, it's a difficult one to answer, but you know, throughout that time, Kevin would always say to me, he's like, Hey, if we could just get back together in the studio and just like write songs and play songs, it's like, would you be into it? And I'd be like, yeah. And then he's like, wouldn't you love to just play to a full, you know, sold out crowd every night of the week? And I was just like, actually, no. I think that's one thing I realized that, you know, most of what we were doing as a band up until 2013 was just playing shows. And while it's fun, like the other guys, I think, always enjoyed playing shows a lot more than I did. For me, it always felt like playing a show was... Um, was not what I enjoyed about music. I enjoy writing songs. I enjoy recording songs. I enjoy releasing songs. Um, playing music live was just something that you had to do as a result. And for me, there's just so much work that goes into playing shows. And, and I felt like the payoff was so low. Recently, I've started to enjoy it much more. And actually, now that we've been in quarantine and we won't be able to play a show for a while, I've actually started to appreciate just the opportunity of playing to people far more. And I think the next time we get on stage, I'm going to really enjoy it. But um, yeah, like, I think that when it comes down to it, the reason why I didn't get back into it for so long is just because I didn't want to play shows and things like that. So at some point when we got back together, the guys were just like, let's just get in a room and play music for us, not to play shows, not to do anything. And I'm like, I can get behind that. And that's how, that's how it started, right? We got back into a room playing music with each other and we all just felt that, that chemistry, that sparkle, that feeling of like, yes, this is awesome. And, you know, we played for like a year just in that space ourselves before we ever played a show, right? So it, that's mostly what it was about. It's just getting together with guys you like, guys you like writing with and doing that. So that's, that's, that's what sold it for me, just not thinking about what we're trying to get out of this, but just doing it because we liked it. Yeah, it became more of um, like, again, that release, that creative release yeah. that you have for you. And, and you, like you said, it took you a whole year of practicing in a rehearsal space, you know, chatting with the guys, creating youth content before you actually went back to 
doing live shows that that's crazy mm-hmm. like it took that long but at the same time it kind of makes sense uh so how many shows have you done since uh the summer of 2019 so we did the one in august at junction city we kind of decided amongst ourselves that we didn't want to play a whole bunch of shows we're like every three months so we did that one in august we did one in november at the boat which is a lot of fun because the boat is a venue that um, doesn't do shows uh, during prime time on weekends. They have a DJ. So we set up a show that was from eight o'clock to 10 o'clock. We did two sets, one with like just covers that we learned for the first time. We've never played covers before as a band. So it was just an interesting exercise and it was so much fun. So we played two sets and there was a DJ afterwards. It was such a fun night. We definitely want to do that again. And then um, in, uh, I guess it was, February, we played Rivoli. We never played that venue before. So yeah, we played three shows. We had another one slated for March, sorry, in May, May 23rd, but I don't think that's going to happen. We might end up doing uh, something else. I don't know what, but for that day, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Like we've been trying to get together something like a live stream, but just the technique of getting or people on a live stream with audio that sounds anywhere close to good is just not there <laughs> with, you know, things like Zoom. They're not designed for that, right? So if we can find something we or, you know, we, we're allowed to get together again, we might try to do something like a show where we do a live stream for everyone who's watching. Um, but yeah, we're going to see if we can get creative with that. No, oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. So, you know, earlier you mentioned that you guys um, met up recently. Why? What, what was the purpose of meeting up? What was the? Yeah. Uh, what were you guys doing? Yeah. So basically, uh, we were um, we were kind of in between rehearsal spaces because just hard to get in on a space with other people for monthly rent. And we had one, and then we kind of had to leave in a rush. It's a long story, but but we found another place just on an ad on Kijiji, and um, we joined the space in uh, January. And we paid first and last, and then we had a great time. Love that space. We were there January, February, and then March rolled around. Things started to get weird. And then we're like, oh, are we ever going to use this space? So we actually just told the guy, hey, we'll use our last month's rent for April. So we're basically getting out of that space. And we had to collect all our gear. So, yeah, on Wednesday, we met up to collect all our gear from the space. And we socially, social, we, we distanced ourselves socially while having a beverage together and um it was it was really bittersweet because it kind of feels like things are going a little bit back to normal i don't know if you're getting that feeling but yeah, I, am. I am doug ford just came out with that announcement and uh and for me like my my work is kind of picking up again these construction sites that were all closed down are reopening as of monday so really quickly so i'm like getting all my ducks in a row to get back to that life because it's been over a month since it's just been on hold right so um yeah so you know we were we gave up that space and we're kind of wondering what's going to happen now because we'll have to go through the whole motions of getting a new space maybe in a couple months but i don't think like what's your estimate of when the next live show for anyone will be like a a gathering of realistically i think that for small clubs and things like that the earliest we're going to see anything is the fall 
Um, what I can realistically see is, you know, offices opening up. I think mm -hmm. that if you can work from home, you're still going to be asked to work from home. Mm -hmm. um, I think some stores are going to be opening up. But in terms of entertainment, I think that there's going to be a lot of restrictions. So like a club can only be 50% full. A restaurant can only be 50% full. Oh, and I don't think we're going to get the 2 a.m. last call. I think it'll be more like midnight type thing. Um, uh. You know, I think it's going to be tough for, for the entertainment industry and, and, and shows and things like that. And, and we're talking at a small scale. I think the earliest we're going to get live music again is the fall concerts and sports, realistically. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's going to happen until next year. So you think the season is done for all these major league sports? Baseball? I do. I, well, I don't think that they – I think that they'll be able to do something. They're going to come up with a plan. Like we've seen and read about these plans of, you know, playing in, uh, you know, these third-party fields, no fans, things like that. So, you know, they have the TV contracts. They're trying to fulfill mm -hmm. the TV contracts, get the money where they can. Uh, but I don't think that we're going to get the normal sports experience, concert experience for at least another six, seven months. You know, if you think about it, it kind of makes perfect sense that they play to empty ballparks, you know, just televise the game. Everyone can watch it. You don't have anyone actually there because yep. after these you know, pandemics and like viruses, no one's ever going to feel comfortable sitting next to someone, man. It's, it's weird enough. Like we was, met up at, at the space and yep. normally we'd give each other like a hug when you see each other. And it's so weird to interact with people socially when you cannot you're not supposed to talk or stand within like less than six feet of them. It's such a strange experience, right? I was thinking about just that. Their families, you know, whenever you go see them, it's just such a strange, strange world we're living in now. You know? Yeah. I like, I personally, I think about like, you know, my, my, the way that I am at a soccer game, that's i uh, um, that's, we're not going to be able to get back to normal. And I personally, I feel uncomfortable. You know, because there are a lot of selfish people. There are a lot of people who have avoided quarantine, who don't listen to, you know, the guidelines and what you should be doing. And just because of the nature of this virus, I just don't really trust too many people. Like, I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've been doing. I don't know who you've seen. And it's not even that the person that I'm directly interacting with is you know, the one who, who hasn't been listening, it's someone that they may have interacted with. Like it's mm -hmm. the six degrees of separation at this point with this virus. Like you just don't know where it could get you. And it, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, that's the thing that gets, that makes me a little nervous and uneasy. And like, I'm not a germaphobe or anything, but I sure feel like I'm turning into one just thinking about sporting events and concerts and shows and, and all of that, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, and thinking about what I do for a living, constantly traveling like i wonder yeah. how that's going to change and i, I yeah on I planes like are people going to be wearing masks the whole time can you imagine that they're the most uncomfortable thing like they you yeah. won't be able like for a transatlantic flight or a long ass flight you're not no one's going to keep the masks on for the entire flight um you know even giving someone a handshake what is that going to look like in, in a few months right like yeah. i honestly think like this is another turning point um, in, 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 in society and how we're going to have to change and adapt to the new normal. I think that, you know, pre-March 2020, it's just different. It's going to be different that there's no ifs, ands, or buts around that. It's, Have you ever seen the movie Surrogates? Uh, no, I haven't. With, um, what's his name, Bruce Willis? No. 
No. So it's not like that great of a movie, but the concept is that, you know, they're in this, I don't know what the actual, I don't know if it's a virus or whatever, but it's like unsafe for people to leave their houses. So they actually live their outside lives through surrogates. So it's like a robot which has your consciousness in it or something. And it looks like, you know, a younger version of you or whatever your mental projection is. And that's what lives your life, but you just live in your house at home and you never really leave. And you know what? That doesn't sound like an impossible future, the way that things are going, you know, we're, it's just the fear and all that stuff. It could be that two years from now, everyone actually goes back to normal. And we remember this time as like, never again. We're not yeah. going to overreact to something. But it, at this point in time, we just don't know what things are going to be like. That uncertainty and, is crazy. Right? And at the end of the day, you know, I think it's hard from my personal view, it's hard to say that anything has been an overreaction. No, just because we just don't know. We don't we know. Don't that's know. the thing. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, that that's the thing. And, I, you know, yeah. that's the point I try to make when someone starts talking about, you know. But it's entirely possible that it was. Yeah. But it, it's entirely possible that it wasn't, right? We just, we'll have to wait at least a year, maybe two years, maybe 10 years. But even then, I don't think we'll ever really be able to know because it's one of those hindsight is twenty twenty things um, where if we didn't do any restrictions or anything, what would have yes. happened? You know, we just don't know. You'd be on so, a different timeline at that point anyways. Exactly, exactly, and, yeah. and exactly. So it's just crazy to think. So going back to the Artful Vandalays, you guys met up, you guys talked about the future. Um, you know, what? anything that you can talk about? Like, you, you know, you mentioned that you have you might do something in May or thinking about doing something in May, but do you guys have any plans for songwriting, any releases coming up? Uh, you know, what's in the future for the Artful Vandalist? Well, um, we are interested in discovering the internet um, because what we realized is we've focused so much on these local shows and we've been packing these smaller venues um, and building an audience and they're getting bigger every time. But we realized that with the internet, you can scale things way past you know, local proximity. We don't only have to look at people in Toronto who might like our music. And our music is you know, pretty approachable, but it's not top 40 pop music, right? So you need to kind of find a niche. And what our next goal is, is with this video for Lucid that we did, which is a song we really like. And you know, it's not like a studio recording. It's a, it's a pretty like off the cuff kind of recording, but done very well by Kevin. And we're going to take this content and piece it together over a few different platforms and probably either run ads or try to find organic reach on platforms like TikTok. I don't know how familiar you are with TikTok, but yeah, I am. Very, very interesting platform, especially now, because since quarantine, I've seen so many people who are around my age, I'm 36, start to join TikTok, right? And that's new. We've been on TikTok for almost a year now as a band, but um, I'm starting to see a lot of older people, millennials, right? Not the, just the Gen Zs. A lot of older people joining. And with that means a shift in how people are going to use it. Because previously, TikTok was all dance videos and things like that that a lot of young kids are into. But now you're going to see more content that's uh, geared towards older audiences. You know, things about money, things about um, stocks, things about um, just well-being, self-help. And you're, I'm seeing a lot of content like that on TikTok myself. And they kind of target it based on your age group. And so I'm realizing we can use a platform that's designed for young people to do these dumb dance videos, but then just do content for everyone. Some for people our age, some for people who are younger. Because when it comes to music, the people who have the most time and most interest in consuming music are younger people from between the ages of like, I don't know, when we, how old were you when you first got it? Like, what was the first band you really liked, Boris? Green Day. Green Day was the first band. I was about nine, eight, nine years old. 
There you go. So between the ages of, I would say, eight is the earliest, and I would say the oldest is maybe 17, 18. That's when you're doing the most consumption of music. And the music that you consume during that age period of your life is going to be with you forever. You'll always listen back to that nostalgically and be like, yes, yeah. I love that. And I think that TikTok, so we want to get there. Yeah. And I think TikTok is a perfect platform for that because Absolutely. it's something that I, um, I don't, you know, it's micro content. I think that our attention spans are just, it's not, I'm not trying to be negative about humanity. I just think that there's just so much content happening where we're being just, you know, bombarded with content everywhere that our attention spans are so minute at this point. So TikTok being a platform of micro content, I see it being a great platform to kind of get your stuff out there and then having the reach to see you on your website, on YouTube, on Instagram live. I see it as a good starting point, you know, and, and the way that well, well, TikTok is, is quite different from other social media platforms. I would say maybe Instagram is the only thing that's somewhat similar because um, I mean, social media is all about a feed right now. You, typically that feed involves people that you follow or ads. That's what Instagram, that's what Facebook is. Everyone you follow plus ads. Now on TikTok, they have this thing called the for you page, which is where you open up and it's just a feed. You don't follow any of these people. They're just, it's content that they're shooting you based yep. on what they think you will like. So TikTok's main, what, what they have is an algorithm that basically is really good at matching people with content that they'll like. So that's actually the most interesting part about yep. TikTok is that that's you can make content and reach an audience without having to do anything just organically. Because yeah, that's exactly content. what I mean. Like, you know, and because it's all micro content, you know, <laughs> not full length, it's a great way to, hey, someone's going to see you and then you can actually push whatever else you're doing. You know, it's not a, it's not a full blown platform where you'll be able to monetize just yet. Um, no, you know, so it's a, it's a good starting point. It's just a good way to get yourselves out there. Uh, so basically what I'm gathering is the artful Vandalays wants to be the cam girls of the music industry. I don't know if I would say any of us want to be that. <laughs> I, I think, I think it's more like, um, I think we're, we're at the point where we want to grow our audience, but we want to do it in a, in a smart and scalable way. We've been doing a lot of legwork, a lot of lifting amps, moving amps into cars, unloading them, throwing them on a stage, playing a show to 200 people, which is really, really cumbersome for the amount of output and like the amount of reach you're getting. So we're thinking like, hey, we can do a lot less physical grunt work and reach a much bigger audience using the internet. And we're just getting to that point where we're trying to discover what makes the most sense and what's the best use of our time with that. We're all we're constantly writing music. And I think we realize that we can write music while being remote from each other, which is pretty awesome. Um, and we can actually record music that way too. We have all the tools. So we may become a virtual band. Who knows? You know, like uh, maybe the last time I see those guys. No, I'm just joking. But uh, obviously we're, we're going to get together and stuff like that once it's okay to do so. But we realize that we have all the tools uh, between ourselves to actually be a virtual band. It's just a matter of how do we now? It's, it's kind of one of those things where it's kind of also testing your, you know, how you, how much you actually want this, because like you just said, there are different ways to connect with people now. You know, you mm -hmm. can't just say, Oh, I'm in quarantine. Can't meet you guys this week. Let's try next week. You know, we have so many platforms. We have Zoom, Skype, yeah. uh, Teams, uh, everything, you know, mm -hmm. uh, there's so many ways that you can meet with people nowadays. So it's kind of like no excuses. So it's like, how badly do you actually want to do this and go through with this? And that's true. But one thing we realized 
between ourselves as a band is that there are some relationships, you will probably realize this, everyone can. There's some relationships in your life that you realized were relationships that required a lot of face-to-face. They thrived under face-to-face and they do the opposite when you don't get that face-to-face. It's a lot, they say that with sales, right? In sales, when you can get in front of someone, the likelihood of closing that sale is just so much better. And with a band, when you're in front of each other, when you're there in that room, the connection is just so unreal. You can't really simulate that, not with a group chat and nothing. You can't play music together on a group chat, right? So this is the thing. The band is such an in-person uh, experience. And there are probably some people that we can all think of, like even with my family, I realize that my family is much more of an in-person experience and not the kind of people that I would like listen to their stories necessarily because they're not particularly interesting. But if I was in a house with them, I'd listen to it and be like, just enjoy it for what it was, right? So it's different when you're on a call with someone because you're not stuck there, can't do anything else. You're literally like fiddling with your phone, you know, watching your kid doing whatever on these Zoom calls. Whereas when you're in a room with them, you're there, right? You're not on your phone. I mean, some people do that's, that. But that's exactly it. If someone, <laughs> if someone can capture my attention in a Zoom yeah. call or whatever, yeah. you know, you know that that, that, that conversation is captivated. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if it can stop me from fiddling with my phone from constantly playing around from even getting up and moving away you know mm-hmm. you know that you know that you've struck gold when yeah. um so you know it's so it's that's really cool like you know i think that that in you kind of nailed um the uh, nail in the head with that with that statement where you know sometimes those i'm always you, nailing the I, nail in the head I'm yes <laughs> Classic Boris move right there, um, and I'm just, and I'm just going with it. I'm just I'm just going with it. Uh, no, honestly, gonna, I love the innuendos. It's just like so subtle. Exactly, but you know, there's the human interaction. Nothing can replicate that, you know. And I think that that's one thing that I personally learned during this whole quarantine is that while life can still kind of be normal-ish to a certain extent, um, you know, it's quote unquote business as usual. Uh, there's still certain things and aspects and relationships that just aren't like that, that you need that physical connection to really get things going. Right. Like that's personally like what I've come out of this quarantine that and people suck, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, You You know, know, I don't know if people suck necessarily Uh, from everything that I'm seeing. Like if I'm actually just open-minded about it, I I'm coming out of this thinking people are pretty awesome as it goes. You know, people are pretty courteous I mean, there was that whole scare with people hoarding paper towel. But I think after that initial overreaction, I think people started to really calm yeah. down. I uh, think maybe again, it's what, what you're consuming. I don't watch the news. So maybe that's why I feel that's, that way. I'm, I try to avoid the news as much as possible. I keep it on as background music some, or background sound sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's for me, and this just might say a lot about my own character, is that anytime that there's anything negative on news or something, for some reason, that rings a bell more. And mm. <laughs> I'm kind of, you know, tight. Well, the news it. is negative, right? That's, it, it, that's it has the whole to be. Point, right? it ha- that's yeah. how they sell, right? But yeah. overall, like I've seen, you know, I think I've seen the best and the worst of people um, mm. throughout the past almost two months, believe it or not. It's been it's crazy. Mm-hmm. What's your takeaway from this whole quarantine? Anything that you kind of learned about yourself, about others, about humanity? Well, I've been spending a lot of time by myself, which is 
really rare. Like I used to always, I have always enjoyed spending time. You alone. Like, are the type of person married, that yeah. never spend time alone. Like, you know, you've always needed something. No, no, that's, 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 that's the opposite. So I, because I of, I'm a very social person, I very rarely get a chance to be alone because I'm always out doing something or hanging out with people or whatever. Now, because I have a kid as well and a wife and we're in this house and we're in quarantine my wife works night shifts at the hospital a lot. So basically I'll put the kid down and that entire evening after 10 o'clock, 10 30, whenever she sleeps, I'll go to bed pretty late and I'll just be alone with my thoughts and like working on things. And that has been an experience because, you know, you get to learn things about yourself that you just would never have learned before or otherwise, because you just didn't take the time to listen to yourself and what you wanted to do and what you think. And, um, I think it's very useful, but at the same time, too much of that can be problematic too, because you get so much in your head, you need to have action with thought and planning. So you need to plan things and then act on them and not being able to act on things has been a little bit challenging, but uh, I think that things are going to start to go back to normal. And I'm actually really excited for, to be able to apply all the things that I've kind of learned over the yeah and it seems like it's happening really fast like you know we have to delay that even this interview by a little bit just because you had things to you know sort so it sounds like you know you're yeah. you're getting you're 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 running you're you're hitting the ground running and that's awesome yeah. like it's it's really cool and and you know kudos there it, it was the first time that i drove my car and left my house in like a week I, wow. I put my daughter in the car because my wife was sleeping after a night shift i had to pick up some things in the west end of the city near where we used to live I drove across the city and I was like doing a couple of errands, picked up some things, met with one of the guys that I work with. And, uh, and I came back home and I was just like, man, that was the first time in a week that I've left my house. And, and I, it's the first time I've seen anyone regarding work in a month. So it was really cool. In fact, I had the sunroof down, the sun was just shining and we, I was just turning back, looking at my daughter and we were just smiling at each other like, this is what life is supposed to be like. You're supposed to be outside in the sun, you know? <laughs> so yep. yeah, I know it was really nice. And um, it, it feels like things are going back to normal slowly. And I, I could not be happier about it. Yeah, no, for same. sure. You know, I think, yeah, uh, being in quarantine for so long can really get to people. Like, you know, yeah. there's the whole mental health aspect about it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, so much. And I think that, uh, you know, if you're doing research, you're, you're, this is going to be a hell of a time for you. Mm, yeah man honestly i th- i encourage people to like take showers do the laundry and wear fresh clothes comb your hair you know maybe like put some powder on your face walk outside and just be like yep this is me that um i haven't done that yet i'm still i'm still waiting to take a shower and uh, clean up and you know look like i'm used to looking because that's a big part of it too when you when you're just at home you're just like this version of yourself that's like this slimy underground cretin you know and yeah that's yeah. not how you want to think of yourself you have no, to I, actually put your best foot forward and like i don't know if people are doing that i've been doing that but i haven't been and i'm excited for that you so know, for me i there, try my best to best like, foot forward so to speak yeah for me like you know my hair is obviously longer i have grown a beard just because i haven't shaved but in terms of my day-to-day um routine you know i've been working from home for five years if i'm not on the road so the thing that really keeps me motivated that keeps me going is having that morning routine as if i was going to the office so getting up showering having that coffee and then starting work around like you know 8 30 9 a.m to me having that routine 
makes me feel like a normal person being able to shower in the morning. And it's trying to keep things as normal as possible, even though it's in a different setting, you know? That's or, good. It's good that you've already had that practice. That's the thing. I've had that practice. And um, it's, it's, it's interesting to see people who are not used to working from home, how some yeah. people are dealing with it. And, you know, hopefully we can get back to the office. Hopefully we can get back to shows. Hopefully I can see the Art of Vanille soon. And yeah. for those of you who are interested in seeing the Art of Vanille, can check out Lucid, the quarantine video. And on where can we actually find this video? Right now it's only on IGTV. So go to Instagram. Instagram and then our ta- handle is artful vandalays. So vandalays is spelled V A N and then D E L A Y S. So like the word delay, van delays, artful vandalays on Instagram, and you will see our latest video on IGTV. It'll probably be on YouTube at some point, but it's just easier to point you to our Instagram because that's kind of what we're promoting the most. Check us out on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. Um, we like to DM people from time to time. If you're interested in anything we're doing, feel free to sh- uh, comment on a post or hit us up on Instagram on DMs. We are very active on there. And we would love to connect with you. And actually, that's one of the things we discussed at the end of our meetup uh, on Wednesday was we should start getting in touch with people on Instagram and just checking in because um, you'd be amazed at how many people are just have very limited contact with other humans and um, could really benefit from just a, hey, how's it going? Hope you're doing fine. And just listening to how things are on their side. Uh, we're going to do a campaign like that. That's really cool. Quick, just check in on our followers and make yeah. sure everyone's good. Because yeah, man, just interaction like that, you never know. how far. Well, that's the thing. Go. Going back to the whole mental health issue that you know is going to be prevalent after this whole quarantine or during this quarantine is you know once a week twice a week I look at my phone and I look at who I have in my contacts and there's people who I haven't talked to or seen in god knows how long um, even before this quarantine but I just send them a message saying hey how's it going hopefully everything's going well you know because you just never know you don't know how people are going to react like I know that some people sent back a message saying oh this awesome hearing from you you know you might rekindle a friendship you might you know have make someone's day you know so you know yeah. reach out to people it's 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 a hell of a thing you're, when you're, you're nice. actually really good at that i would say i think you've always been good at that like you'll always like reach out and say hey how are things going after a while if you haven't heard from someone yeah i'm like the worst at that i i know that for a fact like i'm very bad at keeping in touch with people no we have a friend um, I really, the worst at that <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people are bad at that actually. And this is when you realize if you're bad at reaching out to people, you're just never going to speak to anyone. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, it's been an interesting time. And we've all like our group of friends have all been on zoom chats a few times actually. And like I had my family and I've had Van and I had some other groups of friends and it's been cool, but I wonder what's going to happen when things go back to quote unquote normal. Are those zoom calls? Are those group chats? Those video group messages still going to happen or is that going to be done? Here's my prediction. Going back to the whole, you have no excuse now. We know that we can get together and chat via Zoom. Yeah. Our We've group of it. friends, that's exactly. Our group of friends, we're super close. Like, you know, yeah. it's, it's almost too close sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we don't see each other as much. You know, we, yeah. life has happened. We've all yeah. kind of grown up. We have our own things, our own careers, our own families. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think we've actually hung out virtually more than these past than couple months in the last, last few years, man. Yeah. So I can see us actually continuing this. I think it'll be cool. It mm-hmm. kind of, again, no excuses now. This is yeah. our friends, our family, our extended family yeah. to a certain extent. So even like a once a month 
type of thing, why not have a standing meeting with all of the exactly. people that you like to talk to, right? And, and then do that. Or, you know, for birthdays or whatever, you know, you have a party and then people who can't make it for whatever reason, Zoom call them in for like a quick 20-minute conversation yep. with them. You know, we used to do that for New Year's, right? We'd always yeah, um, with Skype like video yep. chat with people who couldn't be there for New Year's or Skype or Facebook Messenger. Or yeah, it, and that's... I think that's something we should definitely do, yeah. Like I said, no excuses now. So before we go, I want to, I always like playing some games with my guests, just, you know, to lighten the mood and kind of catch them off guard. So we're going to play a game. It's a All word right. association game. Cool. I'm going to say a word. All right. You're going to tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Spaghetti. Oh, are we starting? We're starting, right? Okay. Baseball. Spaghetti. Oh, sorry. The word baseball. Um, championship. Boris. Friend. Blue Jays. Suck. <laughs> They're not even playing and they still suck. Uh, podcasts. Um, interesting. Music. Um, inescapable. Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera, is that what you said? Yep. <laughs> uh, triple crown winner. Pickle Barrel. Uh, great place to work. And that's not a word, but. Uh, <laughs> Guitar. Guitar. Um, I have too many of them. I don't know what to say about guitar. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's the first thing that comes to mind. That's hilarious. Yeah. Artful Vandalays. Um, I would say like lifelong passion. Be for the rest of life. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And uh, the last but not least, Syrah, your wife. Um, lifelong partner. <laughs> you notice that I put those two her, yeah. back to back on purpose. <laughs> yeah, that is funny. That is funny. Yeah, no, yeah. it's it's pretty quick. And and last question: If you could be Thanks. any Shakespeare character from a Shakespearean play, which one would you be and why? Oh. Fuck. Okay, well, you don't want to pick any tragedies because any Shakespearean character, okay. Um, man, I, I keep going to like all the tragedies, but I don't want to pick any of those because I don't want a tragic life. Okay, Shakespearean character from any... Man, there's not a lot of good options when you think about Shakespeare. I think um, it says a lot about you as a person, if, depending on who you choose, and that's nice little delay. Well, you know, I'd probably pick... Um, man, because like... It'd have to be a comedy. I don't know that many good comedies. All the big ones, you know, like or King Lear and things like that. Okay, if I were to pick one, I would probably pick... Um, oh, man, this is a hard one. Shit. Okay, so probably from Twelfth Night. I don't know if you know that play. Um, it's like an obscure one, a slightly obscure one. And actually, there's a movie with Amanda Bynes called She's the Man. Um, Kevin's girlfriend loves that movie. Yep. And it's actually based on Twelfth Night. So it's, a, it's a, 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 the original play was like, there's a brother and a sister and they look very similar and they get separated somehow. And then the sister ends up acting, pretending to be the brother. And um, yeah, I think I would pick Twelfth Night, but not one of the main characters. I would pick Duke Orsino. Orsino. He's the guy who falls in love with Viola, who pretends, who's pretending to be your brother. I think I would be Duke Orsino from Twelfth Night. Sorry, that took a long time, but that's, that's, that's it. I, I thought you were going to say something about Taming of the Shrew and uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. I thought you were going to go that no, direction. No, no, no. But I was no, close. Night, I, was, I was close. The man. 
I, and the guy who plays Duke Orsino actually has the same name. Is um, what's his name? The guy from Magic Mike. What's the guy's name? Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum. That guy. Yeah, I would be Channing Tatum. Shakespeare. The so long story short, you're Channing Tatum. I'm Chan- Yeah, that's who I would pick. If you're gonna pick anyone to be, and if you're a dude, why wouldn't you pick Channing Tatum? Like, there's not a lot of options out there, but he's probably one of the best options you could be. Yeah, but Bradley cool. Cooper's up there. Bradley Cooper. Nah, he seems like a jerk, man. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy you want to be friends with. Maybe he seems I like, like that the kind voice. of guy who's always making snarky, snarky jokes and like there can only be one of those, right? And they've already got me, so no, you don't want to be Bradley Cooper. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So that's Anton Hygienist, Artful Vandalis, father, baseball fan, my friend. Thank you so much for being on. I hope we get you back on before five years, two years, you know. I hope so too. <laughs> Thanks so much. Pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Boris. And there you have it. That was my chat with Anton. For those of you, I guess you guessed it, Anton is one of my closest friends. Uh, But, you know, he has a lot of interesting things to say. He's always a good chat. Uh, Him and I don't always get along in the sense of we don't always agree on on, on things. But I find that with some of my best friends, that's how things are. We don't always agree, but we do care about each other. So it's always a fun time uh, having a chat with him, especially in an official situation. This is the first time I've actually interviewed him per se. Uh, so, yeah, so, again, send us feedback. Um, but, you know, that's just a sampling of what you you can expect now for the show. It's not just about comic books. It's not just about geek stuff. It's about everything. Uh, so, Phil, anything that you want to say to our listeners before we go? Nope. Just uh, like I was saying, check us out on social media. Uh, it's Canon Podcast. And um, anything that people want to bring up or, or possibly have us explore or, you know, bring to our attention, we're more than happy to entertain you awesome 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 thank you so much it's honestly cool being able to do the show with you um again you know we've been friends for what a decade now at least yeah it's, more. it's been a while so i i really do appreciate this i was mentioning to a friend today that it's actually one of these experiences that it's something i'm comfortable with but it's something that's a little intimidating because i'm not talking about sports or some other thing that I can distance myself with. It's actually part of me mm-hmm. talking about this stuff. So it's a little bit nerve-wracking that way. So thank you. And there's always something to be said, like you heard in that interview. You know, even I still get the heebie-jeebies. I get a little nervous before I send out an episode because what if I said something dumb? What if someone disagrees with me? But you get used to it. I'm used to yep. people disagreeing with me. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> So again, so next week, we're going to have a new episode on Friday. We have an awesome interview with the creator of Wait Time app, Wait Time website. Um, It's going to be really cool. It's one of those, you know, the new trends of queue lines and how long it takes you to get into a store during this pandemic and era of social distancing. Uh, So that's going to be really cool. So thank you, everyone, for listening. I am your host. I am Boris. And as always, I was joined by Phil. Thank you. Good night.